like to invite you to please turn with me to Genesis chapter 49. It will be after the message that we are installing Leo as an elder, and I'll share more about that following the sermon. We are continuing our series on the life of Joseph, and we saw in the previous chapter, in Genesis 48, Jacob on his deathbed as he blessed the sons of Joseph. Uh, That scene continues now as Jacob gathers his 12 sons and blesses them and prophesies over them. Uh, You'll see as we read the text here, some of the blessings sound more like curses and some of them are quite cryptic as well. This is, however, a chapter, as distant as it may seem from us, well, in terms of understanding our Bibles, it's a chapter of great significance because this is the beginning of the people of God. The entirety of the rest of the Old Testament will describe God's dealings with these 12 tribes of his people. And this is a chapter of great relevance because everyone is seeking a life of blessing. And this chapter uh, describes the way of true blessing. And so let's look together at Genesis 49, beginning in verse 1. This is God's holy and authoritative word. It is good to be together today as the people of God and to sit together under his word. Then Jacob called his sons and said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. 
Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships and his border shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant. So he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears fruitful thorns. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, by the almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents. Up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet onto the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. May God bless the preaching of his word. I was reminded this week of a story, you might have heard it before, but it's worth retelling. It's a story that a father told about taking his adopted daughter to Disney World. It's a story that has helped me understand the meaning of grace. Uh, For years, this particular young girl was denied going to Disney World with her original adoptive parents. Uh, Sadly, they did not integrate her fully into the family. 
when the family would go to Disney, she was left behind. That adoption didn't work out. And so the eight-year-old girl was adopted by another family and her father loved her greatly. He knew all about that sad history and planned a trip to Disney with his daughter. But the idea of going to Disney ended up bringing out the worst in his daughter. And in the month leading up to the trip, she stole food, she lied, she insulted her siblings. She said to her dad, I know what you're going to do. You're not going to take me to Disney World. Um, she knew she had never been able to earn her way in. And now the worst of her behavior was coming out at the idea of going. During the trip, her behavior didn't improve. But then that night, um, after the day at Disney, there was a different child that emerged. Uh, the facade of rebellion faded and her father tucked her into bed. And this is what she said in bed that night as she looked up at her dad. She said, Daddy, I finally got to go to Disney World, but it wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. That's the whole meaning of grace. I am blessed not because I am good, not because I have earned it, but because I am loved by God, because I belong to him. Genesis 49 is all about the grace of God in pouring out blessings upon a sinful people. The 12 sons of Jacob will one day be given a portion of the promised land. Not because they are good, but because they belong to God. And in fact, all throughout scripture, we see the blessings of God upon these tribes. And in Revelation 21, at the end of scripture, it gives a picture of the new Jerusalem, the bride, the wife of the lamb, coming down out of heaven. And we're told in Revelation 21, the holy city had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the 12 and at the gates, 12 angels, and then here it is, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. These 12 names belonging to the people of God. How was that achieved? Not by their performance, not by their good works, but by the free and unmerited grace of God. Christians, you probably know, uh, we talk a lot about grace. But I am not sure that most of us understand grace very well at all. You can always tell when a Christian uh, doesn't understand and comprehend grace as they ought. Take, for example, the insecure Christian who is always trying to measure up, who is unable to rest, who is plagued by constant guilt, who is living with a daily sense of personal failure. Or take the harsh and judgmental Christian. We've seen some of that in recent days. Uh, those who are always judging and criticizing others. Those who are often severe and abrasive in their disposition. Uh, Self-appointed truth-tellers whose 
words have nothing of the gracious aroma of the Lord Jesus Christ about them. One Christian, the first example, may seem weak and insecure. The other may seem strong and self-confident, but they both have something in common, and that is a deficient understanding and appreciation of the grace of God. And for me, spreading this sense of an understanding and appreciation of the grace of God, this is my life calling. There's nothing that I care more about than spreading this sense of the awareness of the grace of God that has come to us in Jesus Christ. And in fact, I would say that the fundamental call of every pastor is to help people marvel at the grace of God in the gospel. We have been blessed in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And most of us do not live our daily lives in light of God's grace. There is a disconnect. For all of us, the riches of God's grace surpass our knowledge. And so we are seeking to comprehend and to know that which surpasses knowledge. The heart of God is more gracious than we know, and his determination to bless us is greater than we know. And so we seek to comprehend all the days of our lives, the grace of God, going deeper into a knowledge of this grace. Now there are two ways that the grace of God functions in this chapter in particular that I want to look at. One, grace that saves us from our sin. And two, grace that strengthens us for service. And we will be looking largely at the blessings spoken over Judah and Joseph. Those are the emphasis of the chapter. They occupy 10 of the 25 verses of blessing. And plus, I have no idea what it means that Nephtali is a doe let loose. Uh, Good for him, I think. We're going to focus on Judah and on Joseph largely. So first, grace that saves us from our sin. This moment, the sons of Jacob gather around and prepare to receive sweet words of blessing from their father. But instead, Jacob's words begin with a reminder of their sin. He begins with Reuben, the firstborn. Verse four says he is unstable as water and then recounts that he slept with his father's concubine, told in Genesis 35, verse 22. Then Simeon and Levi come next and Jacob says that they are men of hatred and anger. You just picture them standing there. This is recounted. Thanks, Dad. Men of hatred and anger because they massacred those at Shechem in Genesis 34. Verse 7 says that their descendants would be scattered throughout Israel because of that very sin. Zebulun and Issachar, verses 13 through 15, would seek earthly comforts and riches. And as a result, verse 15, their descendants would be put under forced labor. These are the people of God. And this chapter is a reminder of the ongoing reality of sin among God's people. And that sin sometimes has 
tragic, multi-generational consequences. Certainly, part of what we see here is the tribal nature of the Old Covenant, and yet it remains true that sin is often societal and generational in its effects, at times impacting children and grandchildren. It is probably safe to say that our sins are more numerous than we know, and that our sins have a greater impact than we realize. This chapter serves to remind us of our sin, but it does so not to discourage us, but to prepare us to be amazed by grace. Because as we are taken into an understanding of our sin, as we confront that grim reality, our hearts are then prepared to truly understand what it means that our God is gracious. Friends, do you realize that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God? As you look at the sins committed by the sons of Jacob, do you see something of your own sin? Do you realize that we, like Reuben, are unstable and unreliable? That we too are sexually immoral? Like Simeon and Levi, we have failed to love others as we ought in our anger we have sinned. Like Issachar, we crave comfort and ease. We love the things of this world. Friends, think about it. These are a recounting of their lives. And if for us, if all of the sins of all of our days were recounted, who could stand before a holy God? And yet God is not only confronting us with the severity and the destructive power of sin, he is calling us to see the grace that conquers all our sins. There was so much sin in the family of Jacob, yet each tribe of each son would receive a place in the promised land. They all receive the blessing because... God does not select people to receive blessing based on our achievements, based on our good works. It is the hardest thing for us to truly comprehend the grace of God. The blessings of heaven come to us. How? By grace alone, in spite of our performance, in spite of our many sins. So J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, says the grace of God, this is what has come to us in Christ. The grace of God is love freely shown toward guilty sinners contrary to their merit and indeed in defiance of their demerit. It is God showing goodness to persons who deserve only severity, like me. Persons who deserve only severity and had no reason to expect anything but severity. And then Packer goes on to say that once a person is convinced that his state and need are as described in Scripture, once you understand that, the New Testament gospel of grace cannot but sweep him off his feet with wonder and joy. Christian, have you been swept off your feet in wonder and with wonder and joy. Could it be that we need to be taken deeper into an understanding of our sin, confronting that grim reality so that we are able, so that we are positioned to be swept off our feet with wonder and joy? 
in the blessing spoken over Judah in verses 8 through 12 is the remedy for all of our sin. Because there, Jacob speaks of the one who will come to rescue sinners. There, Jacob speaks of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Jacob, in this sacred moment, shares with his sons, sinful as they are, sinful as we are, he is sharing the hope of the world who would come through Judah's line. From Judah comes Boaz, who provides for Ruth. From Judah comes Jesse and his seven sons, including David. And to King David, God promised, 2 Samuel 7, God promised that from his line would come one who would be king forever. And here, in his dying words, Jacob speaks of this glorious Savior. Every line is about him. He will be, verse 8, praised by others. Indeed, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. He will triumph over his enemies, verse 8. He is like a mighty lion, verse 9. The scepter shall not depart from him, but he will reign forever, verse 10. All the nations will obey him and serve him. Verse 10, to him shall be the obedience of the peoples and he will be glorious beyond compare. Each one of these things is true of the Lord Jesus Christ who descended from Judah's line. He died in the place of sinners to triumph over his enemies of sin and death. And he rose to new life to win a people from every tribe and nation. This is our savior. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is the mighty conqueror. Jesus is the one who is glorious beyond description and worthy of our praise. Here is a glorious savior who brings grace that saves us from our sin. All of the sin that we know in our lives, we don't need to live under the burden of that guilt when it is recounted by others. When we, at the end of our lives, look back on the wrongs we have done, we can rest in the security, in the comfort, in the joy of knowing that we have a Savior who has covered who has died for all of our many sins. Grace that saves us from our sin and grace that strengthens us for service. The blessing of Joseph in verses 22 through 26 emphasize his fruitfulness and his resilience as a man of God and as a leader. Joseph was blessed in many ways. He already had all that Egypt could give. But Jacob blesses him because there is a greater blessing than what Egypt can give. There is a greater blessing than all of the blessings that this world has to offer. The greater blessing is Joseph's relationship with God and the difference that makes in his life 
and leadership. Jacob recalls how Joseph knew much opposition. Uh, The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, harassed him severely. Verse 23, he experienced mistreatment. He experienced slander. He experienced injustice. You remember it from his brothers. You remember it from the Ishmaelite slave traders, Potiphar's wife, and more. He knew the pit. He knew the prison. He knew days of famine covering the land. And yet, Joseph was fruitful in it all. How do we become that kind of person? Well, verse 24 describes the source of his strength when it says that he remained unmoved, here it is, by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, the shepherd, the stone of Israel, the God of your father who will help you, verse 25, by the almighty who will bless you with the blessings of heaven above. Here is a man who is attacked. Here is a man who was fiercely opposed. The archers fired shot after shot. But the oppression was not effective because God was his help. Fruitfulness, fruitfulness does not depend on how others treat you, but in how you relate to God. Do you believe that in God there is blessing and help and strength for you? You may be weary of COVID. We are all weary of COVID. In our weariness, consider the endurance of Joseph over so many years. How his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. This is power in life. This is Power in ministry, power in leadership. Where do we get that? It comes from the mighty one of Jacob. The grace of God, the blessings of heaven, not only to provide the forgiveness of our many sins, but also to empower a life of blessing, a life of steadfastness, a life of fruitfulness. Blessing is one of the main themes in Genesis. It occurs nearly 90 times in the book. God created the world and blessed it. Humanity in our sin lost that blessing and the world is broken. God in his grace is on a mission to restore and increase that blessing. And in verses 25 and 26, we see what one commentator, Gordon Uh, Gordon Wenham compares to the finale in a fireworks display because blessing is used in those two verses six times where God promises the blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep, mighty blessings from generation to generation. The womb there refers to the blessing of children, everlasting hills referring to the blessing of land. Blessing, blessing, you will be blessed, you are blessed. These verses are a reminder that when God is with us and he is with us, we can experience his divine favor in every area of our lives. 1 Peter 5 verse 10 refers to God as the God of all grace. I was reflecting on that phrase this week. Not just the God of grace, not the God of some grace. He is. Our God is the God 
of all grace. Because he has blessed us in Christ beyond our wildest dreams, forgiving all of our sin, strengthening us for service and for endurance, assuring us that the day is coming when we, as the people of God, will be brought into the promised land by grace alone, not because we are good, but because we are his. And on that day, that glorious day, we will join with people from every nation and bow down before the king to praise the lion of the tribe of Judah who is worthy of all of our praise now and forevermore. Thanks be to God for his grace that has come to us through Jesus Christ, our Savior.